Welcome to Flowstars, candid conversations between Dr. Peter O'Toole and the big hitters of flow cytometry, brought to you by Beckman Coulter at Bitesize Bio. Today on Flowstars, I'm joined by John Tiggs, Principal Associate in Medicine at Harvard Medical School, and we chat about his passion for training the next generation of scientists. We try to give them things to help their career, not just, hey, come in and you're an extra set of hands why he was actually really great on this episode because of his hobbies being a dj and an mc also it may be very comfortable on a microphone or in settings such as this where it's not oh boy you know who's going to see this what's going on the importance of sample preparation in flow cytometry this is the ultimate of how everybody puts it out there the garbage in equals garbage out and if the prep is not done in, in a certain way there, there's, there's no chance. And his recent promotion. I was putting together my Harvard CV recently for a promotion. Um, oh, it's a good time, I will say it. I got it. Hey. I, uh, you know, I'm a principal associate in medicine for Harvard Medical School now. All in this episode of Flow Stars. Hi, I'm Peter O'Toole from the University of York, and today on Flow Stars, I'm joined by the one and only John Tiggs. John, hello, how are you? How are you, Peter? And thank you for the uh, overwhelming. Uh, you know why that is, don't you, John? Because I believe that you are also a DJ and MC. So I thought beyond just your flow cytometry, I had to introduce you in no other way than to give you the proper MC introduction. So we will get to flow cytometry. John, how did you get into being a DJ and MC though? First of all, we'll start on the personal level. Okay, so that's a, that's maybe not as interesting a story as someone would like it to be. Um, I needed money. <laughs> so while going to, to school, um, you know, one of the gentlemen that I met, uh, he was a friend that I had met through high school, but then we kind of reconnected um, as I like to say, I went to, uh, I went to college and he visited, um, and his dad owned the company. So I sat there and he's like, I need help. And I'm like, all right. And I need money. So it was a, it was a perfect match. Cause you know, and then it started off with kind of just doing like the, the pub kind of things and helping them there and stuff. And then ever since it's been mostly functions and weddings, uh, and uh, I found that, interestingly enough, it was a great opportunity because not only was it fun, I love music, um, but also it made me very comfortable on a microphone or in settings such as this where it's not, oh boy, you know, who's going to see this, what's going on? It was kind of just a, here it is, here's a microphone in your hand and you've got control. So, our trip. <laughs> Right. I'll just say we will get to the science in a moment. But I have to ask as a DJ, what is your banker, the track that you will put on to try and get people onto the dance floor? Because weddings are not necessarily the easiest gigs. Oh, they are not. And they're hard to figure out because you have such a diversity of age. But um, we, it tends to be surprisingly something like if you play some Bruno Mars and to all feel because it, it's newer but it kind of has that that disco-y vibe to it so usually a, a good start there or you know you get a list of some things and you pick out the one that's kind of 
not going to be over the top, but really gets a good kind of feeling in people. And um, a lot of times too, they're just anxious because they've been sitting at a table and, you know, had dinner and now they're just waiting. So. Yeah, so I've been to conferences with you, John. I've been to the evenings where it ends up with a DJ and a dance floor. In fact, I remember Leipzig vividly well. And Alfonso, who we know in other episode, has got some good pictures of that. But I remember you did not get up and dance that night. Ah, uh, yes. Um, well, I, I guess I, I, I tend to try to be a little more refined uh, amongst colleagues than when I'm, uh, I'm out and about regularly. Um, because even just doing weddings and stuff, I find myself at times, uh, you know, etching behind my my sacred place there. Uh, and so I guess this half <laughs> is all Irish. So, so if you're so, so going back, if you're half Irish, where were you, are you, are you, were you born in the U.S.? I was born in the U.S. Yeah. So whereabouts? Uh, Rhode Island. So we are East Coast. Um, still live there um, because it is a uh, slightly more fiscal <laughs> answer to the the Boston area. Um, you now working in academia and trying to live in Boston is difficult. Uh, it's expensive. It's it's on par with you know the New Yorks, the Londons, yeah. and San Francisco and stuff. So um, kind of born and raised there, and that's why the accent is this kind of half Massachusetts, half New York, um, or sandwiched somewhere in between there. So, so, so I know, so you were at uh, the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, which is part of Harvard, is that correct? Correct. We are a Harvard teaching hospital. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you get into place cytometry? Uh, so out of, out of university, I worked for an immunology lab. And so at, uh, it was actually, it's called Roger Williams University uh, Hospital, and it's um, part of Brown University. So I got a position there, and then they said, here's a flow cytometer. It was a fax scan. Um, and, you know, I, anything with electronics and stuff, I guess maybe that's the whole DJ part. The electronics and, and things were interesting to me. So I said, okay. They said, do you want to try? Sure. And I, whether, whether it was a fortuitous thing or not, I was really good at it. So had no idea what I was doing because I wasn't taught. I just sat down and started hitting buttons <clears throat> and became very kind of uh, adept at, at it. And then next thing I know, they purchased a, what they call now a legacy MoFlo. Um, and gave me that. Ah, oh, the legacy MoFlow. Oh, it was like an erector set, right? Uh, <clears throat> you could put anything you wanted on that breadboard and and just go. So I, I, I was going to ask later on, what is your favorite instrument you've ever had? Ever had? Um, I've got to say, in between, it was my MoFlow XDP because of the things that we tried on it. Um, I mean, this is stuff, I guess, that, that would interest you from your microscopy standpoint. We, we actually placed a chameleon laser on that. 
Okay, yeah. so that's for the multi-photon, so for far red excitation or to, to excite the UV dyes, but using the far red for those who are not with flow cytometry and coherent. Yes, yeah, so, um, so we had that in a, from uh, coherent, and coherent also gave me a laser stack. So we had a, we pigtailed in 561, 532, uh, 450. We were playing with a bunch of weird laser lines, uh, 808, I think there was. And then we had that 1080 and the 1080 I loved because it wasn't a simple alignment. See it. <laughs> so for those who've never played with a chameleon laser or, or out in the IR range, you just can't see them. So it became very interesting on how we tried to align that. We used a, um, a Nikon camera because your little digital cameras, when you, when you take photos, do it in an IR so they can actually pick up the laser beam. So we were aligning through all the focal points and stuff using the camera and kept taking pictures. So it was a very uh, long process, but it was all because we were doing um, opto injection. So it was uh, trying to kind of get the red blood cells to open, insert stuff inside, and then close them up. So it, it's because red blood cells tend to have this ability to uh, form after they've been deformed. So that's what we were trying to do. And then we later found out that we were successful. We were able to actually get dye in. It was a uh, very bright Lucifer yellow. What a wonderful for a yeah. dye. Um, and so we were able to get that into the red blood cells, but we found out, we read an article that then said that Opto injection with a uh, a 1080 laser at two percent success rate, <laughs> and that if we had just used a violet, we would have a seventy five percent rate. <laughs> so we were able to uh, actually do something. Uh, and I I joke with my colleague. Uh, I said, yeah. I said we were. Uh, I guess we can call ourselves the one percenters because we at least did it once. Um, but boy, were we barking up the wrong tree. That's uh, I love the concept though. That, I, I, my background is red blood cell biochemistry. So I quite like the, the concept of actually punching a hole in it and watching it reseal, but. Yes. Things with deformability through channels. So you get them to do this up and down channels and watch. And the more rigid they are, obviously during disease states, they won't go through. And they get stuck and stuff. So deformability, um, their vibrations. He believes their vibrations actually there is them talking to one another. And so what he did is he sent it to somebody to put it to music. So that each of the different vibrations were actually musical notes. So he was trying to get it that say when they got more rigid in like a sickle cell, if they could play the uh, Darth Vader entrance theme. So oh, yeah, so this is what we do scientifically. We may not be, um, it's slightly an unorthodox, right? And, and I may have found my, uh, my, my kindred spirit in this world because neither one of us thinks in, in a very um, straight line. Everything is, the crazier it is, the more likely we are to try it, so. Isn't that where you get the eureka moments and the big breakthroughs? Yes, this is definitely where they happen. Um, and if nothing else, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, 
I'm not going to, flow cytometry is what we do. But staring at dots all the time is not necessarily, uh, you know, very stimulating over a long period of time. So within a 26 year career, um, I need something to keep the old mind and the wheels turning. So, uh, you know, just that earlier, you know, I forget the, the little details because we're always looking at the big picture. We, I said we need to put it on the wall, a little sign that says, you know, two things. It's a go or no go in La Putanesca. Uh, just throw everything at it and see kind of what's great, you know, the egg roll principle. I was just going to ask, when did, when, 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 when did you use your first flow cytometer? In, uh, let's see, it would be back in 1896. 1996, and you've been practicing it for 20 years? Now, 20, it'll be 26 uh, in mid-May. I'm, I'm just trying to strategically work out your age without actually asking straight out, how old are you? But I guess if you're about 47 anyway. <laughs> yep, I started flow when I, um, when I was just about to turn 21. And uh, I can honestly say that I've grown up in the cytometry. And so so I, 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 we're not so dissimilar in age. And I, I do know that I've, I've gone perfectly going, perfectly gray. <clears throat> You, on the other hand, have got a great reason for why you've not gone grey. You've actually just lost hair on the top of your head. And, and, well, why is that? What is your excuse? Um, I'd like to say, you know, the, the classic uh, job stress and stuff like that. But I, I also believe that the, the two young women I have in my life, um, over the years, they, they have challenged me and, and, and stressed me to some extent where the grey shows up here. Uh, and, on your, and on your all team. this went here. But yes, uh, doing this is my go-to when I'm thinking. So just rubbing the top of your head. Yeah, so at some point, I'm pretty sure that I've just rubbed most of the hair out um, <laughs> to the point where it just gave up on me. <laughs> and you're blaming your daughters for that? Some of it, yes. Uh, I guess I... <laughs> They, they won't listen. watch this. So no, no I, I'm now going to make sure they watch or listen to this. I'm not, you know, it, unless you 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 do some sort of TikTok dance or or you're on Instagram, Peter. I don't know if they'll ever see it. So, I, do you know? What? I forgot. What was your favorite dance move on the dance floor? Here's your could TikTok be, yeah. moment, John. It could be my TikTok. You know, like, kinda, <laughs> uh, you know. It's, How old are your daughters? Uh, they are 17 and 15. I have one off to university next year and the other one starting uh, her sophomore year of high school. So what, okay, so your eldest, what are they off to uni to study, hopefully? Psychology and criminal justice. Ooh. So she, okay. is, um, she is off to, it's Roger Williams University and they are law school. So she wants to uh, practice law. Well, there's a wise lady to start with because there's bound to be more pay in that than there is in. <laughs> and plus, yes, uh, nobody, I don't think, my younger one talks about medicine. So as I work for Harvard, she's, uh, she keeps asking me if I can get her into the medical school. And I said, um, said very good grades. And um, yeah, about all. <laughs> Dad's influence has none as far as Harvard Medical School goes. 
They said, you know, they let me work here, but that even that they consider to be an honor and privilege. <laughs> Actually, do you know what? She may want to go to medical school. I would say, I, I certainly in my microscopy, there's quite a few medics who left medicine and come back into uh, into science research. Yeah. No, I, I would say medics only diagnose and prescribe. They are utterly useless without the technologies such as flow cytometry to analyze and tell you what the results are and utterly useless without the scientists developing them, the, the tools to do that and the medicines to cure that. So arguably, she just needs yes. to go into to some sort of life science or technology research if she wants to make a profound difference. Impact. Well, so I tell her these little stories and it's funny you say that because just the other day I was talking with somebody and I was analyzing the results and I said, we really should perfect this and really go through some more. Um, and so he said, well, my boss, another MD, wants to get this and he needs the results. So he wants to do this. And I said, okay. And he said, it's clinical. So the bar is really low. I just was like, I didn't say anything left and my two technicians looked and went, so the clinic is very low on the bar. I go, yeah, I, Hey, I said, he's a lovely man, but maybe not who I'm going to if I have a medical <laughs> issue after talking with him. So it's very, it's funny you say that they, you know, diagnose and prescribe and that's about it to sit there and go, well, the science, we're setting the bar low. Um, so, okay. Um, I'm like, well, I don't know how that makes me feel. And should I feel more important or less? I'm not sure. So, uh, it's an interesting concept. Uh, obviously, we are joking about the quality of MDs here. There's still to diagnose so many different things, but I do think, yeah, and I, I'm sure they also appreciate. Without, we're all part of the same family. Okay. You know? In all seriousness, I, we have some lovely physicians that I work with, and you know they're doing preclinical work, and just being a part of that is the stuff that makes the job worthwhile. You know, to, that when someone asks you what you do and you can actually say, well, I'm working with someone to diagnose, you know, to look at ways to diagnose and or, you know, treatments for this type of disease, you know, whether it's a cancer modality or, you know, like we mentioned anemia, they do stuff with malarias and uh, all kinds of wonderful stuff. And so it's, it's great to be part of that and be able to put the little Harvard logo next to your name. So <clears throat> I'm proud of York. I, but, but yes, I, I, I totally get it. Yes. Uh, I, I can't remember where I was going with my next week. We just asked about your daughters and where they're going. Yes. As a child, what did you want to be? As a child, I, I actually wanted to be an architect. Um, as odd as that seems as a child, I, I was always and, and this is why I love going to Europe is because there's just that that different architectural aspect where, you know, the US is relatively young. Um, and so the architecture is, is more modernized. And I, I just I, I loved when we I went to Budapest and just the, the architecture there and stuff. So that was where I was going. And my first year of, of schooling, uh, you know, in, in college is what I went for architectural engineering. Um, and again, 
it was one of those situations where I was taking biology and chemistry classes as part of my, my undergrad requirements and got talked into um, changing majors by, my, uh, by a biology professor. I said, you're incredible at this stuff. And I said, that's great. I don't really care. <laughs> and so, and it was my third year of differential equations that I decided, and architectural engineering may not be <laughs> what I was born to do. Um, because I, I, I'm like, this, all this math is really hurting my head. Um, and so I, I discussed it with uh, those professors again and changed my major. So differential equations sums up why you didn't want to be an architect. Do, do you like nice play on words there? Ah, it is. So uh, I, I differentially equated to a different position <laughs> in life. <laughs> and it was funny because it was a professor who was a triple PhD teaching that particular class. And this gentleman was way above my, uh, my mind capabilities, wizard uh, I, I, of some sort. Um, and it was interesting because when I went back home and said I was changing majors and uh, discussed with my father my, my issues with a, the differential equations in this particular professor, my father said, you've got to be kidding. Still there. So my father actually had him at a different university. It's, struggled immensely and changed his major. <laughs> so this particular professor was uh, very well adept at, at, at destroying the, uh, the entire Tiggs family. So. Oh, wow. So, so you, know, one of, you are answering my questions before I get to my questions. And one of those is, you know, who has been one of the inspirations or most influential on your career to date? Um, Career-wise influential, uh, my, you know, Obviously, I, I do credit family. Um, my father taught me a lot of good life lessons, if not career lessons per se. Um, you know, his little anecdotes I still use to this day. And so, um, you know, and then just actually the, the first and, and still kind of one of the, the only in the family to graduate from a university. So. That was a huge accomplishment and I was I was pushed and my dad was very much a work oriented education oriented individual, um, even though he did not graduate he was very successful in his career he, uh, he was a he worked for a telephone company for 35 years. Um, and moved his way up through the ranks and then once I got into flow cytometry in general, it was a gentleman by the name of uh, Nikola Kutov, uh, a Cyprian. Um, so my first experience with the, the Greek culture, per se, and, uh, and he was very influential because he, I think he taught me more how to be a good boss than anything else, because he was very, as long as the work got done, he was okay with anything else. It was like he told us from beginning, usually when you get someone starting a position, you don't start off by telling them, hey, you want to take a two-hour lunch, go for it. You know, you need to run errands, go for it. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, being 20, uh, 21 at the time and, and someone telling you, you know, live your life, it was like, wait a second, what? But he was just, hey, you know, come in, 
to come in at five in the morning and get everything done and then take off at, at, at noon. And so I, I've kind of taken a lot of that teaching into how I try to, you know, manage the, the, the core facility and, and, and the people that I've had the, the privilege uh, of mentoring and work with me. So you had uh, for many years a, a, a partner in crime. Ah, uh, yes. Term with Vasilios, yes. It's my work husband. Um, so uh, my first, the first place that we were at, the Roger Williams that I mentioned, um, I met him there. Um, showed up kind of on my doorstep. Uh, I joke with him and say, you were like the, uh, the, the baby that was left at the orphanage, orphanage, because <laughs> you just showed up one day and no one knew that he was coming to work with us. Um, it's a, it's an interesting story of, um, you know, he had a relative here that, um, Oh, had an illness. So his mother, he was supposed to go back to Greece. He was a podiatrist and his mother asked him to stay and, and, you know, stay with her and make sure everything was okay. And his, his aunt, that particular aunt was very friendly with the president of the hospital. So the president of the hospital gave him a job that even my manager did not know was a position. <laughs> so, and then, um, we worked together. I moved to Beth Israel here, and um, he was in between what he was going to be doing next. Uh, I was talking with my wife uh, via Facebook, and I said, I'm looking for somebody. So we came back, and so total, I think we worked together of like 18 years. Uh, and it was weird because when he finally uh, moved on to industry and doing some clinical uh, work for Beckman Coulter, there was many a person such as yourself that uh, felt felt and said it was like, what what could be sacred anymore if we broke up? <laughs> so, you know, the, the worries of, oh, my, you know, work relationships, you guys were the were the ones that everybody else felt, you know, um, you know, now it's it, it's like Peter and Karen. Right. It's I can't imagine ever hearing a time of, of, of Peter without Karen or Karen without Peter, that, that was, that was how we were. Um, obviously you were still friends, very close. Um, he's my younger daughter, Kylie's godfather. So, you know, we're, we're like, we're family. So that's not going to change. Now, um, say hello to him when you, oh, definitely. Uh, next his, his daughter, his daughter was at my house yesterday. So yeah. hanging with my wife. That's very cool. Uh, they, I, I'm going to change that question. Uh, I'll come back to that one in a minute. Nanocytometry. So actually, I, I, do, I, I look, I don't do a lot of background research. I shouldn't need to do background research on you, John. I know you fairly well. But actually, in your description, is one of your expert areas of development of expertise is nanocytometry. What on earth is nanocytometry? I'd like to joke and say it's really small cytometers. Um. <laughs> I, I just thought it was sending off more from Mindy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, 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 Nano, yes. Ah, yes. Uh, Robin Williams is one of my favorites. So great reference. Ah, wow. It's, I don't even know where you possibly pull it. That's that's coming from this, uh, the the stratosphere there. Um, so no, in all seriousness, um, we got into nanocytometry about eight years ago. Um, someone approached us and we had no idea. 
So this is looking at things that are below the one micron in size. Um, they can be known as extracellular vesicles. They have names, you know, the, the whole nomenclature was debated for years and still is. Um, what should they be called? So, um, and it's just being able to look at these things. And let me just tell you that there are many a time that I want to go back to just plain old cell biology. Because uh, when you start looking that low, as you probably know, when you decrease a threshold that much, you see everything. And your job becomes getting rid of all the extraneous materials. And that can be simply, you find out that people have contaminated, uh, you know, HBSS or any, uh, you know, PBS. I found out our millipore water is pretty dirty considering, you know, everything else. And, and so it's, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful science. It has brought um, a lot of recognition to my core, has given me lots of speaking engagements. Um, I, I would also say that most of us probably don't know 80% of what we should in order to do this correctly. Um, I mean, standardization in flow cytometry itself is problematic, that whole rigor and reproducibility. It is a nightmare <laughs> to try to do this with, you know, instruments that were not built for this. You're, we're basically, we're trying to use a hammer to do everything, you know, to put in the screws. You, you say instruments aren't built for it. Light is not built for it. Yes. Isn't built for yes, cytometry. I became extremely, extremely, uh, doing dark field microscopy. Um, so dark field is one of those things that actually kind of works with these guys. Um, when everything else is dark, you can see the little guys that are the only light. Um, and so it, it's, you know, for, for those who are not familiar with dark field, I always think about it like starry night, right? When everything, there's no clouds, the sun is, the moon is completely blocked and you've just got those black nights where you can see the stars perfectly and there's the big dipper in Orion. Um, it works the same type way. And the, my microscopy guru, um, that's how he always describes it to us. He's like, it's like the starry night. And he's, um, it's interesting. I, I'll ask you, this isn't supposed to be about you, but are you also uh, big into astronomy? A lot of the microscopists I, I know love no. astronomy and the telescopes. And... Not not massively into astronomy. Uh, certainly, I know my constellations and I'll do a bit of stargazing occasionally. Uh, Chris, bizarrely, Chris Lintop, is, uh, we have a program called Star at Night in the UK. Uh, and the pre presenter of that is Chris Lintop, who's actually also a guest of the podcast series called The Microscopist with us. And... It, this is this is the crossover between the astronomy and the sciences and he to actually understand the universe better he he started something called zooniverse where you you use citizen science to start helping analyze all this data you know mines loads of data and you just a computer can't do it. you need to train the computer so you need the human input so he's got thousands I, I, probably hundreds of thousands of volunteers doing this but of course microscopy needs the same help and so then zooniverse now has a project for essentially 
called Etches Girl with uh, Lucy Collington, uh, Chris Petty. Uh, uh, oh gosh, yeah, Mark down in uh, London that do just this. And they, they, there are loads of volunteers out there helping solve cancer by just literally drawing round images because a computer cannot do it as accurately as a human. So, so, so no, not ast astronomy a little bit, uh, but it certainly has those relations through and uh, maybe bird watching is more my thing. So I still have the telescope that I can use for both. Okay, because yeah, because one of our big things eventually is to take a pilgrimage to one of these, you know, super telescopes. Uh, <clears throat> whether in Africa or I think there, the, there's one in Peru. Um, so the two of us are like, one day, this is where we need to go. So it, it's interesting how all these things wrap and like you said, tie into one another and how just the interest in, in optics itself spans so much and just, you know, and how it, it gets the the juice is flowing. I mean, my table's usually cluttered. They cleaned it behind me for today. Um, it's usually cluttered with with photonics magazines and spectra and all these uh, these these little fun things that I think when I'm on the train reading, the the individuals are are like, what <laughs> is going on here? Um, because it's just I don't know. I guess I, certain things nerd me out. Um, I I realized that this passion when um, Saito was in Glasgow, no, Edinburgh, but I went over to Glasgow where the coherent factory is. Yep. And when I actually came back from it, I called the family and was talking to my wife and my two daughters and was like, oh my God, I went to the laser manufacturing facility from coherent and they had all these lasers there and they were talking about, you know, how they can manipulate, you know, the neurons and all this fun stuff within the mice and the brain and, and how these technologies can really, you know, with Parkinson's and all this. And I was just going off for like about a 10 minute monologue. And at the end they went, huh? And I'm like, oh man, I'm like, I just kind of nerded out. I said, I got to realize this isn't your Disneyland. This is my Disneyland. And they're like, yeah. Cause I was like, you need to come and you need to see this stuff. And they're like, doesn't sound like a very fun vacation. <laughs> <laughs> no, but very much a busman's holiday. I, I think if you call it in the UK where you go off and do a similar job but on your holiday when you go overseas. I, oh, it, I liked your analogy to astronomy actually because even going back to nanocytometry you know i, I use the, the analogy of the stars of, of signal to noise you know you can see very few stars when there's lots of light being scattered in the sky in fact you can't see a single star in daylight just because it's the light scattering but your fluorescence is still shining going out or in the astronomer's case the, the star is still shining same amount of light it's not changed you just cannot see it over that background but for nanocytometry it's all the other particles that are getting in the way of those really faint stars that are interfering with the image. And this is what scares me about nanocytometry. This is where, this is what, I hate the fact we can get so small and for bacteria and some EVs, we can see them, but there's always going to be particles. It, it, it's, it's not black and white. It's not they're all at this size. There's a slope into, into the noise and we can't see them all. And how do you, how do you, I really struggle to cope with knowing I can't see everything on my cytometer or microscope, whichever way it is. Yeah, I think 
that is the most frustrating part and i'm sure that seriously has contributed to some of that hair loss we spoke of um is just trying to figure out i always always trying to figure out how can i really get that signal to noise to be better how can i eliminate more dark noise and this is the ultimate of how everybody puts it out there the garbage in equals garbage out and if the prep is not done in in a certain way there's 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 no chance i mean there's some kind of okay let me see if i can save your sample when you're talking about cellular biology there's nothing i mean if you are not i like to tell people i said you you're trying to get donors right but you're you're really worried about hey man what did you eat today have you had a latte your your lipoproteins like your apolipoproteins that you can see cloudy layer that just sits there and then once you get rid of that you're talking about chylomicrons which span the entire size range of extracellular vesicles and again more lipoproteins and you can generate micelles and so it's just horrible kind of thing. And, and companies are, are on this kind of arms race of who can put out these products. And so size exclusion chromatography has become this kind of go-to thing where centrifugation was, ultracentrifugation was a huge thing, right? And then people came about and said, no, no, there's problems there. And then size exclusion became a thing. And it was like, well, there's problems there. And then it was like, well, what about, you know, uh, low fractionation and, and stuff. Uh, well, there's some problems. So now you read papers that are like, okay, we did three processes. Yeah. And like you said, now I can kind of see things and I know it's clean, but I lost 80% of anything that could possibly be useful. And so every, every single, I don't know how many of these nano talks that you may have attended or on a webinar, almost everyone in some slide has the iceberg. Um, and the, you know, we can only see the tip of the iceberg. And so I like to think that we're getting a little bit lower and we're starting to see things that, that are more interesting. Um, you know, and I like to think that some of our work has been instrumental to that. Um, why not? You know, why can't I think that? Um, <laughs> we're doing science. Oh, I've just had a brainwave. But do you know what? I'll, I'll talk to you when we finish that, John, on that one, because we'll keep that one till afterwards. I've just had a thought on that. I think what, what's really, you know, nanocytometry, and it's not just nanocytometry that struggles, it shows that technology has evolved ra really rapidly over the last 20 years. And there's still such a long way to go. There's so much still to develop instrumentation-wise, probe-wise, and to understand, so research-wise. And actually anyone listening who's... Uh, a new scientist coming in and wondering where careers are wow there's so much still to be learned and developed in this area I, I think 10 years ago I was thinking cytometry may burn out other technologies are coming to the fore and oh my goodness it didn't burn out it kind of just had a little plateau and then it's rocketed again and if you look back in time it it took off from the zero and it started with a plateau and then went up then plateaued then went up and plateaued and it's up and the gaps in the market mean there's still plenty of rapid rises still to come. So we're good for our, until our pensions. I think there's two, when I look at it, I think it's twofold. You, you could, I think one is we're very good salespeople. So while 
flow, like you say, it kind of, there was this kind of just this level is we started getting the immunologist to be like, hey, without us, you can't figure anything out. And so we need you to push the companies to start making ways to look at multitude of things simultaneously. So 30, 40 colors, you know, and, and that kind of trend went. And then the flow cytometrist said, oh, it's great. You can do Western blotting and some PCRs, but even with your little extracellular vesicles. Now, if you want to multiplex, you need us. And so we're very, uh, we're very good at adapting, selling our, our skill set and, and kind of, um, you know, self-promoting. So, you know, we're, yeah, we're important here. Um, because like you said, there's a lot of things that can be done computationally. And a very good mathematician can, can take a lot of the burden off of analysis and what we're trying to do. Uh, and I know I've gotten to be very good friends with a lot of mathematicians, uh, people that are, are, are whizzes at computational analysis. Um, and that's where things have gone. And then the second portion of that is I, I say to people, we've had a lot of new developments in flow cytometry. Waiting for that next novel thing. I, I, I kind of caveat that by saying new means that it's just the technology and we're using it for a different purpose. Novel, turning the, the flow kind of world upside down. Um, and things that were done between the flow part and just cytometry when it was invented, just looking at air and air. You know, same principles, but there was no fluid to it whatsoever. Um, it was looking at for aeros aerosolization in, you know, things of that, that nature. So I'm like, what would be that next kind of over? Do we lose the fluids again? Um, or the lasers become some sort of other thing. And that's why these conversations with guys like Bill Telford, who are laser gurus are so fun because um, of the thought process. And even looking at, hey, one really kicked up white laser and lots of pinwheel fun um, or prisms. And, you know, that's, I like to say flow is about smoke and mirrors. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't see us putting our electron beam through the flow cytometer just yet, but, but never say never. <laughs> never say never. Say so, never. Changing tack a little bit. What, what has been the most challenging or difficult time you've had in your career to date? I say to date doesn't mean you're going to get more difficult times coming forward. <laughs> Something I didn't. Um, at 11 o'clock, someone will be giving you a little piece of pink paper <laughs> <laughs> and a cardboard box to put your stuff in. Um, no, seriously, I think the most difficult aspect, and I, I, and I think a lot of people have the same thing, and we mentioned it, is the revolving door. Um, it's great to meet you know, a, a bunch of people, but I'm the kind of person that, you know, I put a lot of stock in relationships and put a lot of stock into, you know, meeting people and, and learning about them and, and understanding their goals and stuff. And so when they leave, it's almost, uh, you know, over the years, it's like little pieces of you are taken with them. And so whether it be someone that's worked with me directly within the core, um, you know, I, I was putting together my Harvard CV recently for a promotion. Um, oh, it's a good time. I will say it. I got it. Hey. I, uh, you know, I'm a principal associate in medicine for Harvard Medical School now. Congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, and part of that, 
a list of, of mentees. That was a huge thing they wanted to see. And just looking at that list, it kind of hit you a little. Wow. Look at all, all the individuals. And it wasn't so much like, look at all the individuals that I've had some influence on. It was more, look at all the individuals that have been part of my life and now have moved on. And, and you know, that's difficult. That is a very difficult part, just seeing them all go over time. And, and you know, I, that's the nature of the beast. I get it. But, you know, some have come back. It's been great, um, you know, seeing them again in different positions and, and being able to interact with them in a different level. Um, but, you know, we said we'd talk about it later, but, you know, individuals that, that you've sent along the way from York, like this gentleman, Andy Stone, um, Harry Potter lookalike contest winner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he loves that one. Um, but he embraces it. He dresses it up like that for Halloween, he said. But individuals that's, like that's that. That's not dressing up, is it, if he already looks like it? No, I guess it's not. I guess it's uh, just it's just putting on a scarf at some point. Um, but he he's such a wonderful individual. And I use that as an example that, you know, eventually he will come back to York. He wants to go back to, you know, to England and the UK. And so just the the six months that I've spent working on nanocytometry with him and, and just getting to know him is unbelievable. I actually have a Christmas card sitting above here of of and of Andy and his uh, his significant other and his kitty. So, um, you know, you make relationships with these individuals and and it just becomes more and more difficult to, to lose them. It's, yeah. it, and on that, Andy, if you're listening or watching this, where's my Christmas card? I just out of interest. Yeah, yes. you be back to York at some point. So, so mate, get that card sent. He said it was in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on. Let me, let me see. He wants to know if you, if you moved. He thinks that may have run the problem. <laughs> thinking about those, some of the more challenging times, it's sort of losing a bit of you each time they go. I mean, do you feel the same about, you know, we've talked about this in the past. It's quite interesting to hear your views on this, about your attachment to the facility itself as well. Yeah, so I think that's it. We, we've started talking about this in the past, and I'm sure others have the same. When I came to Beth Israel, we were a uh, fax scan and, uh, and an FC 500 facility um, with a, a one employee in, in the, for the flow core, um, the guy they hired, and, uh, and, you know, hundreds of users for two instruments. And so to this day, you know, we've built, we've moved to a, a new building about 10 years ago, um, built a, a wonderful facility. We now have, um, it's myself and we, we have employees. There's one open position still. And um, I have uh, three interns all working in the core on projects. Uh, so John, how many staff did you say you have currently working? Two. Say again, sorry, you broke up there. Oh, sorry. We have two employees, yeah, two technicians, one open position, so there should be three, and then but there are three interns from a local university. So you're um, about six staff currently working in the lab. Interns though tend to be more. Um, they learn the flow cytometry. They they do um, work along with the the researchers, but they have projects that we give them to assist on. Um, and it's great because they, they love it. Um, we have a young lady who's leaving us in May. She's been with us for two years as an intern. 
Um, she's getting a job in industry, but she uh, will leave with um, being first author on two papers and a uh, co-author on another paper. Wow. So we try to give them things to help their career, not just, hey, come in and you're an extra set of hands. Um, and so that's great. But again, even with them, it's like because of their age and my age now, it's like children, right? It's like watching your children. And while, like we said, it hurts and it's a little piece of you that goes, there's also a sense of pride, um, you know, and, and that feeling that hopefully they, they got something from you and will take that along in their careers. So it's interesting. There's, as you said, dynamics and the same thing. If I ever decide to leave this facility for, I don't know what might be greener pastures or someone finally convinces me that the industry is not, not the dark side. Um, and uh, then I would love to see someone here who, uh, you know, I feel is just as dedicated. Um, because again, the facility itself feels like a child. Go out and brought it from a baby right up into it's, it's now adulthood. Um, and that they can maintain the, the, the quality and, and even hopefully, as you know, and we've discussed, it's not just about status quo. It's the next person who can push it to a higher level. Um, you know, you always want to see the people that you mentor go beyond. Maybe it's just me, but I always want to see them better than I am. Um, you know, I have no problem with that. My, I don't have an ego in that sense of, oh my, you know, someone who I trained is better than me. No, I, I think if they're not, I haven't done my job. Um, and so I see my job as an, an educator and a, and a mentor, not just the, the guy who looks at some instruments and they laugh at when I take them apart. So I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna think about this. You've got all this time. Some quick fire questions for you. Okay. Early bird or night owl? I don't. Uh, DJ, obvious. Neat or messy? Organized confusion. Organized confusion, okay. PC or Mac? Mac. Oh, McDonald's or Burger King? Burger King? Yes. Oh. They give out little cr uh, paper crowns. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a... I'm not going to go there. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Coffee. Wine or beer? Beer. Beer. Okay. Chocolate or cheese? Cheese. Sorry, John. Uh, give us an er before it, John, just keep breaking up there. Chocolate or cheese? Cheese. Cheese. Uh, so, sweet or savory? I'm going to guess savory. Savory. Definitely. Okay. TV or book? Is that a book? Yes, a book. I would. I like. Uh, so, what what are you reading at the moment? So, I'm waiting upon uh, reading. Once my uh, my technician Brandy is done with the Witcher series, so I have watched it, but I have not read the books. Um, so, previously for me was any crime novel. Uh, some of them being. Uh, so I, I guess whether it's good or not, I have this infatuation with the criminal mind or, uh, you know, your serial killers. Uh, and so sitting there going, 
I don't know if it's just the, the biology aspects, but I'd love to see kind of brain pulses and scans of, of these individuals. So, and some of the books have it in it. So it's very interesting. It's intriguing. So that's where your daughter gets it from, I guess, then. Yes, they have. Um, so my younger daughter is actually, she likes watching, but she's read like the whole Harry Potter series like three times. Um, and she actually, from last time I was in Dublin and I had the kids with me, um, she actually bought a book on the uh, the famous Irish uh, criminals and from like Kilmarney Jail. So, which was very intriguing to me. So, and it was, she bought it with money that she won off of an individual by the name of Tidar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Winning money from Tidar in a pub was not difficult. <laughs> Especially if, no, yeah, yeah, no, I can imagine it's not so difficult. Um, yes. No offense, Tidar. <laughs> obviously no offense whatsoever it was because of his language he promised her he would not use foul language and if he did he would give her money well let's just say he lost that uh and and she made out like like she robbed a bank so did, did, was that for every word is that, is that why she actually robbed a bank at the end she had that amount of money she had that kind of amount of money so yeah it was uh and she couldn't have been happier she to this day she loves him <laughs> oh he's a great guy though um, oh yes what's your favorite film day off Fabius uh, Bueller's day off at a cult That's one, one of my favorite films um along with every Halloween I watched the crow with Brandon Lee the original okay so you got so you got your Halloween movie what's your Christmas movie then Christmas movie would be uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh, cherry cherry. Yeah, that, we, we do watch that every year. I mean, we've got yes. a few we watch every year with the family. But yes, that is one of them. And of course, when uh, so we go to my uh, wife's cousin ha house and we tend to watch Die Hard as a Christmas favorite. For some reason, I don't know how that became a Christmas movie. Come on, it's a Christmas movie, isn't it? Yes, it is the the it may be the ultimate Christmas movie. Uh, I know it's, it's excellent. What have, what is your pet hate? What do you really dislike people doing or things in life or something that's happening? What is your pet hate? Start with an er uh, because you're just breaking up at the start of the sentences. Er, uh, yes. Uh, uh, um, my pet peeve. Full um, sense of entitlement. I guess it's because I feel like. I've worked hard to earn where I am. And so those that just show up and believe everything should be given to them really gets me going. Um, it's no, I mean, you may have certain opportunities, but then it's on you to make it happen. Yeah, that's that's kind of a pet peeve. Um, yeah, that that's a good one. Uh, I, I can see that if you support a football team that I support, I think you'll a lot of our players seem to have that sense of entitlement that really yeah. they are not delivering. Uh, what about, do you have any bad habits? Uh, uh, bad habits is, um, <laughs> I, I get that, that whole uh, distraction thing very easily. I tend to be thinking of 10 to 15 things at all times. And this sometimes drives individuals that I need to get things accomplished crazy. Cause they're like, well, you just told me to do. Yeah. Yeah. 
forget that for the moment. <laughs> and I just thought of this one. And so it's, yeah, that's a really bad habit. And then um, my wife hates the fact that when I, I get nervous or a little bit upset, I chew the inside of my lip. And so she knows and says, you know, she'll look at me and be like, if you're angry, just say so. I'm like, I'm fine. She's like, well, then why are you chewing your lip? Uh, it's a tell, I guess. It may not be a bad habit. It might just be, uh, if you play poker with me, look for the chewing of the lip. I was just thinking of that. When you've gambled on the wrong hand, just look for that yes. lip. Oh, but now we know that you could be bluffing. Yes, there we go. Maybe I just put that out there. That's not that's not so good at that point. I, I you know, We are nearly out of time and i've got a few more questions i really want to ask you first of all what do you do to chill out after after a difficult day after after rubbing off all the top of your hair that you keep doing with your daughters or with work and losing your mentees as it were what what do you do to chill out at home uh chill out for me is hitting the gym i get to work off all the excess energy and stress so my younger daughter she has become a gym rat so she when, even when I think I don't want to go, I go. Um, so she ha does that. And then uh, I play. I love to play basketball I've Been playing since uh, I hadn't picked up a basketball until I was like 14. And it was just on a someone needed an extra warm body. Um, and then I just kind of because I was always a football player. I was playing soccer here in the States, and this is why I still like it. And people think that's weird for an American. Um, I'm like, yeah, but I played the sport, but then I started playing basketball and it was a lot easier to find, you know, a couple of guys to play basketball than it was to find a few people to go and just to pick up soccer games. So. Ah, soccer's still better. Sorry. That's a personal opinion. Uh, you, uh, do work now. We started to branch out that, you know, we've talked about teaching, mentoring, but you're also thinking community-wise, networking and being responsible. So you're now doing work with the ABRF. So do you want to describe, A, what the ABRF is? I, I, I know what we have the CTLS. And actually, I've been part of the International Committee for ABRF as well. But you know, you're more involved with that now. So go on, just, in, just, just introduce ABRF and what you're doing at the moment. Okay, so the ABRF is the American Biomolecular Resource Federation. Um, very fancy term, I guess, which is um, a group that kind of, as you know, from your experiences, um, you know, cores in general, so for management and all the particular cores. And I belong to the flow cytometry research group um, of individuals uh, that we put projects together. So you, you know, same thing as type writing grants, you write, you know, a grant to the society to see about, you know, what you'll actually fund with papers in minds, manuscripts. So the thing I'm involved with them right now in is looking at a technology and technical pathway to a core facility. So working with local uh, community colleges or you know universities to set up a program so that individuals aren't just coming to a core saying, oh, well, I did the biology requirements. It's going to a core having core skills and that entails which i worked uh, with the you know the group to say well we need to add in there the management portion so that's what we were saying the individual who not only knows the technology but knows the people skills knows the salesmanship 
knows how networking and company relations can benefit um, and understanding budgets and you know why can't i hire six people to work in the core <laughs> we'd be more efficient well the budget says no, <laughs> no you will not so and also understanding how to work that budget to get what you actually need so it's a it's a wonderful kind of thing that i'm i'm happy to be you know involved in um and also the group is working on how to get people to actually do titrations and also what happens if you're sorting larger cells on your normal sorter so you know People don't, they say there's, which I agree with 100%, people don't take in consideration that you're using a, a three micron bead to set up any kind of drop delay. But what happens when you start shoving things the size of my head through a nozzle, even a, you know, a larger nozzle, how does that affect side streams and everything else? So yeah, we use that analogy all the time, the size of my head and the brightness. I can describe nanocytometry by how the light hits off the top of my head. <laughs> So, That's like literally you've got uh, two laser lights going on as well. So you've got two. two uh, yeah. Yes, we we have two laser lights, so it, it's good. I've got I've got side scatter and back scatter going on. So <laughs> I, 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 just going back to the finances side. Uh, so many core staff don't like the finances. Ultimately, it's what empowers us. I, I actually think. Uh, it, it's it's yes it's a pain yes it it's difficult yes it feels awkward but I, I do think when finances are put properly into place it can make a profound difference to how a facility can really operate because you can justify you know users are justifying it you don't have to have it because people say oh yes we want it people are really putting their money it's, it's voting with their money if they need that facility they need that staff it's tremendously empowering i think for the abrf just like CTLS, and actually even with the Royal Microscopical Society, we even teach courses on facility management, uh, you know, for, for people wanting to go into this sort of career path. Because I saw that on LinkedIn for CTLS, that they have an actual uh, couple of day intensive course on the, the business portions of a, of a core. Um, and I've always been interested in that. Like I said, when we started, I grew up in this. So for better or for worse, I've learned uh, business administration. I've learned uh, legal um, studies there because of contracts and you know, and just how things behind the scenes need to operate in order for a facility, i.e., a small business, to operate effectively. So you know, I think that's what's get lost sometimes in in the research portion is that we are a small business. Um, you know of that mom and pop store in the mall um you know you've got the big entities of, of the clinical and, and things that are bringing money to the hospital and you've got your little portion of it as people are walking through and you're trying to get them to come into your little shop and stay relevant and in, in you know financially sound so it's an interesting i always tell people that and they go that's an interesting way to look at things and i'm like well we are if we don't have butts and seats we're going to fail and so you need to figure out how can you build those relationships and and the other thing that has been relevant on the Purdue site even lately and i've said it from beginning of time when i started this job we are the bartenders of the science world 
Um, I know things about people that maybe I should not know, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. here I am. Uh, and, you know, I've been asked for advice on so many different topics, you know, that we could do an entire other session just on us going back and forth on what's the strangest thing you've ever been asked. Yeah, the bartender, the agony aunt, or yeah, yes. very much so. John, we are up to the hour. So I'm going to say, actually, I, I don't know, you, you said the bartender, but I'd also say through listening to this and the diversity of your career, your job is I've also got the teacher, the businessman, the legal man, the accountant, the DJ stroke MC, the family man, but maybe most importantly, the scientist uh, that's there. John, it's been great catching up with you today. It really has. Great. And I can't wait to actually be able to see you in person. Oh. Um, so yes. we can share share some more stories and a pint together. Ah, um, get, I know there's no point coming over on the RMS facilities meeting because you know it already. We need to think of another event. We'll hook up soon. Uh, yes. But for those that are watching the Flow Stars, do go back, watch the other ones in the other series that are out there as well. There's some great speakers, including Alfonso, who you've heard uh, a lot about today. Don't forget to, forget to subscribe to the channels and John, as always, utterly brilliant. Thank you. Thank you too, Peter. It was an honor.